Okay, real quick, set the clock. Here are some interesting facts about Russ Ward. He's been to Las Vegas 52 times. He sold millions in bootleg DVDs. What the hell? Wait, what? He's been sued by the NFL. And now he owns a multi-six-figure digital marketing business. And now, he wants to talk. This is The Real, broadcasting around the world. Around the world. From Tampa, Florida, this is Russ Ward. Welcome once again to The Real with Russ Ward. My name is Russ Ward. I am your host, and today I have an unbelievable interview, and I am just so blessed and grateful to have this person as a guest on The Real. His bio would tell you that he is an entrepreneur, an action philosopher, a time piercer, a speaker, a mentor, and so much more, but... In addition to all those things, he is just one of the most awesome humans I've ever met in my life. He personally taught me to meditate at a group event, not just me personally, but he has done so much to inspire, help, motivate, and literally change lives all around the world. This is somebody you will want to listen to every single word that he says because everything he's going to share with you today is going to be some way helpful to your life. Welcome to The Real, Jesse Elder. It's a pleasure to be here, Russ. It feels like this has been sort of a a long time coming in a a lot of ways. You know, it really does because I've shared this story with so many people so many times. I found you through a marketing course. When I made my first 10K in marketing, I reinvested a big chunk of that money into Cat Howell's course. I just loved Cat. She gave no fucks. She was just all who she was and all her stuff just crushed it. And in the first section of that course, there was a section on mindset and I almost didn't even watch it. I was like, I don't need mindset. I just want to learn to run ads and make money. But I figured, hey, I paid for this. I'm going to watch it all. So you were the person who did the section on mindset. And I was so inspired by you that I went ahead and looked you up right away and saw you were speaking at an event in Orlando a few days later. I didn't even have all that much money left over, but I booked a trip and I saw you in person at a small event. And you taught us all how to meditate that night. You made it so simple, so easy, but I had a very specific problem I hoped you could help me with if I had a chance to speak with you personally. And as you passed by in the lobby, I tapped you on the arm and asked if I could ask you a question real quick. And you were so kind, you gave me your full attention. And I had gone through this breakup that was tearing me up inside and I just couldn't get over it. I explained it to you and you said, you know, you had just made a video that would really help me with that. So I watched the video and almost as a confirmation that it was the video for me to watch. As you were walking up this path, I saw some words on the side of a building and those letters formed my daughter Emma's name. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. This video is definitely for me. But your message was it's not the love that we're missing from somebody else. It's the love we have within us that we want to give. And that video helped me realize it was all inside me. I had lost that someone that I really wanted to give that love to. And once I realized that, I was able to move on. And I never did get to thank you in person, but thank you so much, Jesse. I mean, that really helped me move on. It's a team effort, man. I mean, it really is. I'm, I have thought often that, you know, when I when I hear something like what you just shared, I mean, there's no way that you could plan out something like that if you're creating content. You know, it's like, how do you how do you strategize that sort of outcome? 
you don't. It's just, it comes to you. It's like art. You just share it and you're like, okay, there's somebody out there that needs to hear this. And I believe that as, you know, as, we, as each of us get called into more of a leadership role, I think that we become more receptive to the, the inspired hits. You know, we get, in, we, we sort of get tuned into, I know it sounds like a woo term, but you know, where do ideas come from? Where do songs come from? Where do, where do ideas for paintings come from? You know, they come from some inspiration. And I really think that it is a collaboration between the messenger and the person who's actually wanting to hear the message. And I think that there's a sort of drawing from, I don't know, super conscious intelligence or God or source energy through the messenger out into the life of the person who's ready to hear that. And then I think that it ends up becoming the cycle where the person who's asking for help, they're looking for guidance, they're ready to do something different, and then they improve their situation. And if that keeps going, next thing you know, then they become a leader. And it's like, we're all just here to wake each other up. And so it's a, it's a total collaboration. I totally agree on the collaborative effort. I mean, I've told that story about you to a lot of people, but I've also told my own story about my own struggles and how I wrecked my life and what I did to fix it and all the steps along the way. And it never fails that somebody pulls something from that story every time I tell it. And it's not always the same thing. It might be some obscure thing that you wouldn't even think of. And one of the reasons I've made this podcast and that I want to continue to interview people such as yourself is because there's a lot of guys out there that are struggling and hurting really bad. Guys that have not done anything that has to do with addiction or alcoholism or anything at all other than bad choices. And they ended up in a bad spot in life because of their bad choices. And they don't know what to do about it. They don't know if they can even make a comeback from it. And they're maybe in a place of despair. And as I read your story, I never saw a portion of your life that was exactly like that. But there were times when you said that you just really didn't feel like you fit in and you didn't really know how that was going to work out for you in life. Can you just maybe shed some light on how that felt for you and in what you would do to give advice to people who were in a situation like I'm describing? Yeah, it's a great, a great topic. I think that everybody, everybody goes through these sort of micro cycles and macro cycles of feeling like you don't fit in, finding a place you fit in, and then sometimes feeling like you've outgrown it. And then you've got to find the next place that you fit in. And this is a, a constant process. You know, it's like swinging from one trapeze to the next. After a while, like you're, you're done with this one, but you don't just get the next one. You got to let go. And you have to be willing to let go of that one trapeze, fly through the air for a few seconds, and then grab the next one. And so in my own experience, you know, growing up, oldest of five, homeschooled, spent a lot of time with my family and with my siblings, and really was blessed to have you know, a relatively healthy home. You know, there was no abuse. There was no, there was no violence. There, there really wasn't anything like that that was happening. But I, I look back and I realized that there were some features of my childhood that were super fucked up. And I was like, whoa, like how did that even become a thing? In the awareness of that, as I, as I went through my teens and, and my early twenties, I just realized that I just don't feel like I fit in anywhere. You know, I've got, I mean, I've got friends and I've got people that I'm close to. And I was teaching martial arts from a pretty early age, about 15 years old. But teaching became the place that I felt the safest. I felt the most confident. I felt like I was making a difference. And I was just in the zone. When I was not teaching, I felt awkward. I felt shy. I felt, you know, self-conscious. I felt like I just didn't know how to talk to girls. You know, there's all this, almost like a double life. You know, when I was teaching, everything was fine. When I wasn't teaching, everything was really messed up. And so... I ended up using all of these sort of in-between peak moment times. You know, teaching, peak moment. Fighting in a tournament, peak moment. Training, peak moment. But when I was not doing that, there was a lot of solitude and a lot of reflection. And it let me, it, it gave that space, spaciousness gave me the opportunity to think about my thinking. And 
just like in martial arts, when somebody's throwing a, a technique at you, you know, you're going to respond according to your training. Here's the technique. There's a little bit of pause where you, you identify what the threat is, and then you respond according to your training. And I begin to realize that thoughts are the same thing. You've got an event that happens in your life. Then you have your reaction or your response to the event. But in between, there's that gap. There's, there's a pause. And I learned that if we can exploit that pause before we just jump to conclusions and say, oh, well, X happened, that means Y. It's like, well, no, there's there's a space. And I began to, to observe in my own experience and then experience with other people that you can actually choose the meaning that you want this event to have. And I'll give you an example. I was working with a client a couple months ago who came to me because his, his coaching business was doing well, but not phenomenal. And I said, well, what's your biggest bottleneck right now? And he said, man, I just, you know, I, I'm not able to make sales. So I know I'm good at what I do. My clients that have worked with me, they love it. There's, they, they get great results, but I just don't know, you know what to do. And I said, okay, so would it be fair to say that you've got an abundance of time on your hands? And he laughed. He was like, well, yeah, that's all I got is time. I'm like, okay, so you've been focusing on what you don't have, which is these sales and this money. What happens if you instead look at what you do have, which is this abundance of time? And if we just approach that time a little bit more intentionally and we say, all right, you're going to, in, in an hour of your day, you're going to take 20 minutes and just focus on getting into alignment, reconnecting with your purpose, reconnecting with your skills and reconnecting with what it is that you are good at and what you do love and build your energy. And then after that, then we focus on 20 minutes of just going back and reading all your client testimonials. And after that, we take 20 minutes and start to brainstorm ideas about what the next offer could be. He was like, dude, this is, this is awesome. I feel better just thinking about it. I'm like, that's what happens when we think about our thinking. We realize there's a lot more ways to approach any given situation than we have been seeing. And so the, all those early experiences of feeling lonely and feeling isolated and feeling I didn't fit in was such an absolute gift because it taught me or gave me the opportunity to think think about my thinking. And once that happened, it was like, man, the dominoes just started falling. I realized nothing is inherently good. Nothing is inherently bad. These are human words that we assign to certain situations based on if it makes us feel good or if it makes us feel bad. But at the end of the day, we're the ones who are choosing what that means. And so that's how a lot of this really, really began. Another thing I've heard you discuss is the difference between pain and suffering, how you can literally have pain, but you don't necessarily have to suffer. Could you kind of explain how that works and how people who are actually suffering don't have to suffer while they're going through pain? Yeah, I mean, it, it may be semantics. My understanding of pain pain is an experience and it's it's always a physical experience even an emotion that is painful well it's painful because you feel it like you feel a pain in your heart you feel you know nervousness in your guts you feel a restlessness in your in your body so all pain is physical but there's a difference between physical pain and suffering and you know without going into like a you know 3 day workshop on this. Suffering is wishing that things were different than they actually are. And so if you're in pain, you don't necessarily have to be suffering. You can experience physical pain while experiencing emotional bliss. You can experience physical hardship, physical resistance, while at the same time experiencing emotional clarity. And anybody who's ever done a hard workout knows what it feels like when you're redlining yourself. You're moving that heavy weight. You're sprinting those last hundred meters. There's a bliss that comes from an absolute laser focus, like a predator on your prey, there's only one thing that exists in your reality, and that's the thing you're focused on. Everything else disappears. And even in that space of pure presence, the 
physical pain just becomes feedback. It even stops becoming pain. In fact, the, the parts of our brain that process ecstasy and agony, they're the same. We process those in almost identical ways. And so, so much of it is really just a shift in your, in your perspective. So if pain is just an experience and suffering is wishing that the experience was different than it is, then I would suggest that suffering is perceptual. Suffering comes down to what we believe about the things that we're looking at. What are we choosing to give our attention to? And I can say with clarity here that I don't suffer. I experience pain just like anybody else. But I've learned to tell the difference between when it's a pain that's just getting my attention so that I can do something different, or is it a pain that I'm continuing to choose over and over and over and continuing to practice over and over again. And as I've grown in my life, I would like to think that I've gotten better at lowering my tolerance for suffering while elevating my standards uh, for what it is that I'm that I'm actually committed to experiencing. Right. That makes sense. So let's dig a little deeper if that's okay. Let's take me for example. I went through a few times in my life where things were pretty tough, but one time in particular stands out. I was suffering really bad. I was suicidal. I had a gun to my head. I was going to blow off my head. Let's say you're a coach sitting on the floor right next to me. What do you say to me? What do you do to help me stop suffering and to move on from that place? Yeah, in, in that exact situation, I would say, uh, hand me the gun for a second. Like that would be the first thing we would do. And again, this is, you know, not medical advice and I'm not a doctor, but I've had many conversations over the years with people who have been in that exact same situation. Uh, in fact, one time comes to mind, I was teaching in my martial arts school. It was a Friday afternoon and a student pulls up. Classes are done for the day. There's no class schedule, but this woman pulls up and she looked awful, like pale, shaking, completely dysregulated. She was like, no, something wasn't right. And she walks in and she's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I just tried to kill myself. And I was like, oh shit. All right. Never handled this one before. This is, you know, I was like 24 years old. I was like, what do I do? And I said, all right, well, uh, you're here. So I guess you're here to train. Let's train. And I didn't even look to see if she agreed. I just went into the classroom and she kind of followed and we just started going through the motion. I start, she's punching and all this stuff. She got some color back in her cheeks, which is a useful thing. If you're in that dark space, you can't always outthink your way of something that you've thought yourself into. Sometimes it takes moving your body and breathing and oxygenating your brain and getting a little bit more energy flowing in your system to elevate your, your you to the next level. But in this case, I'm going through the training with her and then she starts to melt down again. She said, I just, I just tried to kill myself and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm not, I don't know where these words came from, but they were the right words. And I looked at her and I said, well, how come you didn't kill yourself? And she was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, as far as I know, you're very good at doing everything you set your mind to. And so like, if you really wanted to kill yourself, you wouldn't be here right now. The fact that you haven't done it yet tells me that there's a reason why. And I'm just curious what that reason is. And you could see like the mental, you know, it's like driving down the highway. It's like, okay, do I take this exit or do I take this one? And you could just see her for a minute. She was in this sort of confused space and she took the exit. She's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I didn't kill myself because of my parents. I'm like, okay, tell me about them. And she starts going on about how much she loves her mom and how much she loves her sister and how much she loves this future family that she doesn't even have yet. And I was like, oh, tell me more about your family that you, you don't have yet. She goes on and tells me about her partner and tells me about her kids. I'm like, what are your kids' names? And she's telling me, and dude, her color comes back. She's completely like present. And then 
she's like laughing. She's like, wow, I was really fucked up a few minutes ago. And I was like, yeah, you were. And look, look how good you did. Like you got yourself right back to here. And it, it was like watching somebody wake up from a bad dream. And it was a, it was a very powerful experience earlier in my career when I began to see that wherever we put our attention, we're just going to keep going in that direction. There's no end to the direction. You just keep going and going and going and going in that direction. And it would be like trying to reach the end of West. You know, if you're, if you're flying West, you don't reach the end. You just keep going west. And so when somebody's in a really dark space and they're experiencing so much pain and they're experiencing suffering, what that is going to do is just lead them to the next most painful thought and then the next most painful thought. And pretty soon their brain is just scanning their entire past, is scanning their present, is scanning their environment, and even making up things in the future that haven't even happened to support the way that they're already feeling. Does, it, does this make sense so far? Yeah, it really does make sense. As you were talking, I was thinking about my situation and there was a time when I was just in that space for like two weeks straight and I was thinking all types of things. Maybe this could happen. Maybe that could happen. I had every worst case scenario you could think of running through my head and I just kept on going down that path. And maybe if I would have just got up and took a walk or called a friend or did a workout or done anything at all other than sit there and ruminate, maybe it would have worked out differently. Isn't that what you're describing? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think it really comes down to the, the strength of the individual. You know, we've all experienced feeling broken. We've all experienced getting our ass beat. We've all experienced feeling defeated. But if your heart is beating, if you've got air in your lungs, well, then the game is still on. And that means the game's not over. And that means you can choose what are you going to do next. And it does help to have someone on the outside. It helps to have something on the inside. Maybe it's God that you're talking to you're like look i can't do this by myself and you ask for help and help always comes like it's it's mind-blowing how available assistance is if we're open to receiving it i totally agree and another topic that is very interesting that you talk a lot about is time piercing. So I've been checking out things like time piercing for a while, but I've never called it time piercing. And I actually didn't even know that it existed until you talked about it. But I had learned about things like quantum jumping and something Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about how you create a future memory and you make a mind movie and you meditate on all these things you want. And then you feel that feeling in your core and you can pull yourself to that future memory via vibration or, or something like that using meditation. But the way you describe it is much more simple. The way you describe it is all thoughts, all things are happening at the same time. So me sitting here today could be a future thought from my past last week or what I'm thinking about right now, I could be thinking about something in the past. And at the time it was a thought, it was something I was imagining and it's all happening at the same time. Could you describe this a little bit better than I just described it? I think you did a pretty good job, Russ. You know, science is actually history. Anything that's considered science is, is a study of what people already know and then they're able to know something a little bit beyond what they already know and so it's really just this it's, it's definitely useful there's no question about that um, my observation is that most people don't really believe something until enough other people believe it and then they feel safe to start to explore and start to test and see if something makes sense to them I've never had that spent a lot of time by myself growing up I read a ton of books when I was growing up had lots of imaginary conversations with imaginary friends 
friends and fiction characters and all these different things. So I always had a very active imagination. And it, it never made sense to me to wait for someone else's approval for me to think the things that I wanted to think. And whether that meant, you know, a teacher, I didn't go to school, but whether it meant, you know, an authority figure or a doctor or a scientist who was going to then tell me something to back up what I was already experiencing, that just seemed like kind of a waste of time to me. So I, for most of my, certainly my adult life, I stopped asking what's true and I just started asking what's useful. And so I think that science is never going to catch up with everything that there is to know. Science is the tested, proven data and the surveys and everything else. But even science is subjective. And, and so much of science now is really dictated by who's funding the study. Did the study give the, the evidence that the backer wanted to see? If not, go back and do this, the experiment again. So that's not actually science. That's politics and everything else. So when I began to explore this concept of time piercing, I just went with what felt like a, a solid sensed um, reality. And I didn't, I didn't need to have uh, a scientific study. I just thought, let me test this and see if it's useful. And I began to theorize and begin to sort of visualize that if, and this we do know, everything is energy moving in different speeds, right? So, you you know, if you look at your hand, your hand is made up of skin and then bone and muscles and, and blood and lymph and, you know, you've got all this physical matter. But if you put your hand under in a super powerful electron microscope and you zoom all the way in, you're going to see the skin cells and you'll be able to see where one cell ends and one cell begins. And then if you zoom in on that skin cell, you'll be able to see the molecules that make up that cell. And if you zoom in even more, you can see the atoms that are all moving around together that make up that molecule. And if you go even deeper, you will see the subatomic particles that make up that atom. But if you go even deeper into that, what is there? There's nothing. There's nothing. So how does it work that all of these tiny subatomic particles can be just whizzing around these giant empty spaces at ridiculous speeds, enough fast enough to, to act like enough of them are, are solid? When we know that this is not solid, it's something like 99.9999% empty space. But then there are things that are not physical in the seeing, sensible sort of way, but that doesn't make them not real. A perfect example is sound. You can't see sound. If sound is traveling unbroken, does it really exist? Well, sound becomes sensible when we hear it. So the old question of if a tree falls in the forest and there's nobody around to hear it, does it make a sound? Seems to me that it doesn't. Because that sound is a potential, that wave is a potential that doesn't become real until there's an eardrum to convert that potential into vibration. And so if there's all of these non-physical realities like sound, like radio waves, like cell phone signals, we can't see them, we can't smell them, we can't taste them, we can't touch them, they don't weigh anything. And yet they are obviously extremely real when converted into signal. And so an example here is if I have my, my phone and on my phone, there's no music on this phone other than probably some songs that I recorded on my, on my keyboard, but there's no music on the phone, but I can listen to any song by doing what? Pushing a button. Yeah. You just push a button. You enter the song you want to hear. So does the phone have music on it? No. Does it have music in it? No. So where's the music then? When the, when the song starts playing, where's the music? Well, the music is, is it's right here. The music is in these, in, in this space right between my fingers. Every song you could imagine playing is right here. Every video on YouTube is right here. Every website in the world is right here. Everything that's on the internet is right here. Literally in this spot is all the sum total of human knowledge. 
How the fuck can that even happen? But you can't see it until you have a device that receives the information, sorts the information and plays or, or shows whatever it is that you're asking for. The reason I give that entire explanation is because if we've got sound and then we have light and we have x-rays and we have radiation and we've got radio waves and you've got gravity, you've got all of these things that exist that are not physical. Well, what happens if you keep going up the vibrational scale? Is it possible that thought itself vibrates at a, at a level that we don't have the instruments to be able to measure. Now, we can measure brainwave activity, and that's pretty cool, but I'm talking the actual thought, you know, the thought of, hey, turn left when the map's telling you to go right. Where, where'd that thought come from? You know, the, the thought when you you get an idea of cool camping trip to take your family on. Well, where'd that thought come from? Yes, you could probably track it to something you heard or saw, but I don't believe that we are purely just these, you know, regurgitating beings just thinking of things we've already looked at. How do you how do you take into account invention? How do you take into account, you know, Da Vinci and and Michelangelo, these guys creating things that have never been created before? Any artist knows that they're tapping into something that does not have a direct creative origin. It's coming from somewhere. So my theory is that thought does operate on a vibrational level that is not measured uh, or measurable by current scientific instruments, but that doesn't make it any less real. And so this whole time piercing idea began to come in when I started thinking about thought itself existing in a, in a, a non-place that is outside of time. And that's a very kind of weird thing to think about. But if you imagine that, you know, the, the home that you're in right now, or that somebody is watching and listening to this, you're in your place and you've probably got a bathroom, you got a kitchen, you got a bedroom. So there's three completely different rooms that are all in the same house, but you can only be in one room at a time, right? So what happens if you are, let's say you're in the bedroom and you're playing bongo drums and you're just putting out a little beat. Well, you're in the bedroom and you're playing the drums, but the person who's in the kitchen can still hear the drums, even though the drummer and the drum are not in the room. Why? Because the sound transcends the space. The sound just goes everywhere through the whole house. Now, let's say that person who's in the kitchen hearing the drum beat, they get on the guitar and they start like cranking out and noodling some, some chords. Well, then their sound, which originates in the kitchen, is going to actually go into the bedroom. And let's say somebody else in the living room hears that and they start singing or they start beatboxing. And then their vocals go into the bedroom, their vocals go into the kitchen, even though the originator of the sound is not there. And now what happens? Now you have all of the sounds are in all of the rooms and they can be heard by everybody, even though they're being originated by one location. Does this make sense so far? It does, but I'm sure it makes more sense to me because I, I've actually listened to you explain this before. So I think some other people are going to have to just maybe go back and re-listen to what you just said, maybe. Here's where it lands. If thought is like that music. And if time is like different rooms, so yesterday is the past, today is the present, tomorrow is the future. Except right now, today, today is yesterday's tomorrow. So yesterday you were thinking about right now, but it was tomorrow for that version of you. Right, right now you can think about tomorrow, but when you get to tomorrow, it's not gonna be tomorrow, it's gonna be today. And you'll be thinking back to now, and this will be yesterday. So you've got all these days that are probably all happening at the same time. So if you can remember something from a week ago or from a year ago, and you can remember that, and if you can also imagine something that's happening like 
a month from now, well, a month is going to go by, you're going to be in that spot and you're going to be remembering back to today. And, and here's this sort of interesting theory. What if the thought just exists and today you're experiencing it, you're seeing it, tasting it, touching it, you're in it. Yesterday, you were imagining it. Today, you're experiencing it. Tomorrow, you'll be remembering it. And so those three versions of yourself, past, present, and future, they all have access to the same thought. One is imagining it, one is experiencing it, and one is remembering it. And so what if your, your future that you're imagining right now is just you connecting to that thought that's actually being lived right now by that future version of you? Right. And what if that future version of you is remembering you, therefore, you're connecting through these two parts of time, but it's the same music. It's the same song being played. And we have a tendency to think that this is all there is, what we can perceive with our senses. But this is quite obviously not the case. There's a lot more that we're not able to perceive with our senses, but that doesn't mean that we can't perceive it. We can imagine it. We can remember it. And the more that you imagine your future and the more that you remember your past— the better you get at this sort of time-piercing phenomenon because you can give a lot of love to your past self and you can get instructions from your future self. And this is a, a muscle that the more you develop it, it's like having intuition on demand, like cosmic Google. You just always know exactly what to do. And one way I've heard you describe this is you have unlimited possibilities in the future. You can literally select a new future, a new outcome, kind of like the concept I've heard of quantum jumping, if anyone's ever heard of that. You simply select a new outcome that you want, you go with that thought, and your thoughts can take you there. So let's say in the example of me laying on the floor with a gun to my head, I could have pulled the trigger and my life would have been over and that would have been it for me. Or like I did, I made another decision. In that case, I got up and I started searching on a computer reasons to want to live. And that took me to another dimension, for lack of a better term. But Jesse, when I first started listening to your content, you weren't talking about this concept yet. Why is this so important to you now? Do you teach it to students? Is it just a passion? Is it something that's kind of consumed your thoughts? Like, what is it about this concept of time piercing? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, one, one of the questions that I will ask for a client who wants to work with me is, who else is there that can help you with this? It's not because I don't want to work with people, but the work that I am here to do with people is completely original, complete collaboration, and we're going to create something that's never existed before. And so my question of, you know, is there somebody else that can can help you with this? If they say yes, I'm like, well, I'm not your guy. Like if there's if there's somebody else that can do it, then I'm, I'm not here to copy. I'm here to invent and to create. And so I want people that also want to create something brand new. And I don't want to do something that other people can also do. And I'm sure a lot of that's probably just my ego and me being insecure and wanting to have something totally unique that I'm bringing to the world. But I also, I also believe that we're in a unique period of history right now where so many things that have been tried have been shown to work to a certain point, but we are in need of some brand new ideas. And time piercing is the idea that continues to come back to me as a way of each of us being able to choose from the futures that, that, are, that, are, that we can perceive. And by feeding the future that we want to live in, by thinking about it, by writing about it, by connecting with it, by feeling the future that we want to live in, we actually do bring that about. And that's not a new concept, but it does change the way that someone thinks about their imagination. If they imagine, if they just think about their future version of themselves, who's already made all the choices, who's already achieved all the success, who already knows exactly what to do, coming back and telling you, hey, turn right, do this, 
hire that person, fire that person, say yes to this, say no to that. You can have that level of living dialogue with your the most optimized future version of you. And it's it, it, in my own experience and in the experience working with clients and students, this is hands down the best personal development program on the planet because what better coach are you going to ever have than the version of you in the future that's living your best life? And when you can see through their eyes and get clues from their choices, it's it's a game changer. So do you actually coach your clients on the ability to do time piercing? Yes, we have, there's there's some concept and some theory. There is some brainwave science to back it up, but a lot of it is is practicing. I will take somebody through a time piercing conversation and they'll start to feel things shift a little bit. They'll start to realize like, whoa, wow, okay, wow, something else is here. And it's not like a spooky or woo-woo kind of way. It can happen sometimes, but it's overwhelmingly beneficial like overwhelmingly benevolent and positive when you start to realize, wow, I'm accessing parts of my brain that I've never accessed before. So people will go sometimes in a, in a light sort of trance state, like a hypnotic state, they'll have more access to it. But oftentimes it's just a regular conversation like this, but they'll feel like they're getting a little bit sideways to their reality and seeing, a comp- I've had several people say, this is like the best psychedelic journey I've ever had, except there's no psychedelics involved. It's all in here. So guys, I understand the concept of time piercing isn't the simplest in the world, but I did want to be able to discuss something today on the podcast with an amazing mind like Jesse Elder in regard to something that can help you right away, something you can take action steps on and you can actually change your life in the immediate future. And I really believe that time piercing can do that. I've watched so much stuff that Jesse's talked about in regard to time piercing, and you may want to go back and watch some of his other videos or re-listen to the way he explained it on this podcast, but I truly believe this is something that can help you in this moment. For instance, if you're somebody who's in a terrible situation, maybe you're suicidal, maybe your situation just seems like there's no way out, you can use the concept of time piercing to change your reality like right away. And Jesse, I just want to tell you, man, this has been so helpful to so many people, I'm sure, and you've been so generous with your time. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. And I'd also like to give you the opportunity, if you are taking new clients or if you're working with people, can you tell us how some of the listening audience can find you and how they can work with you if you're taking clients? What's the best way to, to get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. I am generally pretty stacked on a waiting list for one-on-one work. But if somebody does want to explore that, they can email my second in command. Her name is Helen, uh, Helen at jessielder.com. And that's uh, Helen with one L. And there, from time to time, I will have courses that'll be coming out on, we'll do challenges and all sorts of really cool things that get people engaged with these different ways of thinking. I'm on Instagram at Time Piercer uh, or Facebook, Jesse Elder. Jesse, I just want to thank you one more time for taking the time with us today. I look up to you so much. I know so many people that are going to be listening to this podcast look up to you and they have followed you and respect your ideas and your concepts. And you're just somebody who has been so inspirational to so many people and the new ideas that you come up with are just mind blowing. So thank you once again so much for your time. I really wanted to start out this podcast with a bang and I knew you would bring value like unbelievable value and you have. I appreciate you so much, Jesse. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you, Russ. Thank you. After 52 trips to Vegas, after selling millions in bootleg DVDs, being sued by the NFL, and owning a multi-six-figure digital marketing business, Russ Ward felt like talking. You've been listening to The Real. Broadcasting around the world from Tampa, Florida. We hope you're entertained. 
We know we had fun, and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with Russ on Facebook at RussWard1111. The website is RussWard.net. And find him on YouTube at RussWard.tv. Till next time, keep it real.